0: We've been looking at what I've been calling seven bad examples. These are stories from Israel's history. They are stories of sin. They are stories of their rejection of God. Uh, stories of failure. And they are stories that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says these stories are examples to us. And he says, they are examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did. Think about what Paul says there. And it's it's a humbling and a frightening thought. It's humbling because we tend to think a lot of ourselves, especially when we read stories about a culture that is half a world away and 3,000 years removed from us. And we think, well, they were primitives. Uh, they didn't know any better. <clears throat> we are enlightened people. We, we live in an enlightened generation, and, and we, we know better than than to do the things that we did. But Paul says these are examples for us. We are just as capable of evil as they were. And it's frightening to me because the story we're going to look at today is is one of the most evil imaginable. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 25 today. Uh, just the first nine verses, Numbers 25. If you're looking through your Old Testament, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book of those first five. We call those first five the Pentateuch. If you learn nothing else today, remember that's that's the Pentateuch. Um, and if you're using those Bibles we have in the pews, we encourage you to use those. We can all follow along. It's page 133. This is <clears throat> this is evil stuff. This is, uh, this is vile. This is immoral. This is, uh, this, this is an R-rated sermon. I'll just warn you right up front. It, it's R-rated, and it may even be a little more than R-rated. It, I lost sleep over this sermon. I mean, I woke up in the middle of the night, a couple of nights, thinking, how am I going to preach this? How am I going to say these words? How am I going to preach this story and, and do justice to the story? I can't, I can't downplay it. I can't soften it. I'm gonna say some words here, and my mom is in the audience, and she she's gonna hear me talk about this stuff. And I, I can't I can't miss what Paul says. Paul says in there in 1 Corinthians 10, these stories were written for our example, as examples for us. But he also says he doesn't just say they're written so that we might not desire evil. He also says, they are written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. And when you hear that phrase, end of the ages, your mind probably goes to the second coming. You know, the end of the ages, Christ is coming back. Paul's mind went to the first coming. Paul was talking about Christ coming as the fulfillment of the ages, the fulfillment of everything that we read about in the Old Testament, everything we read about in history was fulfilled through Christ. And so Paul is talking about Jesus here. So these stories shouldn't just point us away from evil. They should cause us to run towards Jesus. Numbers chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore themselves, to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked them to the Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family and And in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meetings, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. And thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were twenty-four thousand i read that story and i cringe i read that story and i cringe it's awful it's evil it's it's heartbreaking and it should have never happened i mean god had warned them over and over again you don't go out after other gods you're going to go into this land there's going to be other people they're going to worship other gods don't go after them in fact god had this top 10 list right top 10 top 10 commandments Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. With this story, any dissimilarity between the Israelites and the surrounding people was gone. They looked and acted and worshipped exactly like everyone else. Now we can think, well, we know better today. We, we know better. We're not like that. We're not like them. But when Paul references this story there in 1 Corinthians 10, when he specifically references this instance, he puts it square at the heart of our culture, of our society, and what drives our culture. He says there in, in 1 Corinthians ten eight, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, And 23,000 fell in a single day. I want you to notice two things about that, what Paul says there. First of all, Paul says 23,000. The Old Testament says 24,000. Let me just kind of clarify that. Paul says in a single day. The scary part about this sin is it must have been persistent because in a single day, 23,000 died. But in the days that followed, another thousand would die from from this plague. There was something persistent about it but i want you to also notice that paul says we paul includes himself he doesn't always do that paul includes himself in this in this temptation he he recognized the seductiveness of sin and he recognized that as an apostle he was not immune to the seductiveness of sin it is a danger for all of us beyond and beyond just being about sex and beyond just being about idolatry here This is a story about losing your identity as a child of God. This bad example ought to cause us to ask ourselves some questions. And one of the questions that ought to cause us to ask is, do we stand apart from the world around us? Is there anything different about us from the world around us? That's, That's the ultimate problem here. Israel was acting like everybody else. You know, we could... We could read this story just from an immorality point of view, and we could, we could preach a great sermon. I could preach a great sermon on hellfire and damnation and, and immorality, and, and we could just talk about sex. Some of you some of you seemed like when I pointed out that this sermon was about sex and violence, some of you were like, yeah, you know, it's, it's about time. You know? It's a little scary, guys. Um, we, could have, we could preach a sermon, we could have a sermon just about, about sex, but it's so much more. This is about culture. This is about Israel starting to look and act exactly like the Canaanites, exactly like the people around them. There was nothing different about the things that they did, the way they acted, the values they held. There was nothing to tell them apart from the rest of their world. It's not just about disobedience, although obviously that's a big part of it. I mean, they're breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. Disobedience is a big part of it. It's also about irrelevance because if if we don't stand for something different than the world around us what's the point of being here? what do we really have to offer if we are no different from the people around us if we're exactly like everybody else then then what do we have to offer them and again it's it's seductive it's subtle and it is far too easy to give in to the culture that's around us you know from from this bad example here in numbers 25 that In just a few verses, you can chart the seduction of this sin. And it starts out in verse 2. Verse 2 says that the daughters of Moab invited the people of Israel to the sacrifices of their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. It's an invitation! Who doesn't want an invitation? You know, somebody has invited them, and and you can't be rude. You know, these are our neighbors. It would be rude to turn down their, their invitation, right? There's places we get invited that we have no business going. I mean, it's, it's nice that people want to include us. But there's places we get invited that we have no business taking the Holy Spirit. We have no business going to those places. And, and it's okay. It's okay to say, no thanks. It's okay to say, that's, that's not for me. You know, you're going to get the responses. What's the matter with you? You think you're better? You know, you're such a prude now? You know, you're no fun now that you got that Jesus thing going on. It's not about being a prude. It's it's a matter of faithfulness. You know, last week we, we had a big party in the other room. We watched the Super Bowl. We had a blast. I mean, it was so much fun in there I and mean, there was a lot of food and apparently there was a football game on. I didn't really watch much of it, but there was food and it was loud in there and and there was food and we've done this the last couple of years and it just seems like every time i watch the the super bowl that i get very apprehensive about the halftime show because you know there have been you know, costume errors and things at the, <laughs> the halftime show and there have been all kinds of problems with the halftime show and and so i'm always very nervous about the halftime show and 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 I'd, so we just shut it off you know we we didn't watch the halftime show we shut it off we didn't watch it I, I understand it was relatively tame and kind of wish I would have seen that guy in the shark costume you know I would have liked that, but but you know we just decided that wasn't going to be a part of what we were going to do here. Peter says this in first Peter chapter four, Peter says this and it's so relevant to the world around us. Peter tells the Christians in First Peter four three through five, he says, "For you have spent enough time in the past." You've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lusts, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and, and they heap abuse on you, that they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. you hear that? They are surprised that you do not join them. You're no fun anymore. You don't like to go out and have fun. You don't like to do fun stuff with us anymore ever since you found Jesus. There's nothing wrong with standing for something. There's nothing wrong with taking a stand and being faithful, for being known for taking a stand. This invitation that Israel accepted was an invitation to go and sacrifice to the to the gods of, of the locals specifically they went to sacrifice to the Baal of Peor now Peor was the local area and so the Baal of Peor was that <coughs> that local area is God and Baal is a word that we see a lot in the Old Testament uh, it means master and uh, what did Jesus say no one can serve two masters you'll love the one and hate the other or love the one and, and despise the other. No one can serve two masters. But Baal was a, was a fertility god. And you got to think about it from this perspective. Israel was a bunch of sheep herders, right? They were shepherds. So they're finally settling down and they've never had to farm before. So they're learning what farming's all about. And their neighbors who are farmers say, yeah, you have to go worship the Baal of Peor. You have to go worship the, the local fertility god. And that's how we have good crops. Okay, well, you know, that's that's the invitation. And we're trying to learn this farming thing, so let's let's go do that. As a fertility god, sex was a part of of Baal worship. You know, the, their idea of worship was nothing but a, a giant drunken orgy. That was that was worship to them. Nine months later. Nine months later, you made your sacrifices to Baal. I need to say more. Nine months later, sacrifices were made to Baal. This is Israel. Do you remember how they got out of Egypt? Do you remember how they left? God said, you sacrifice a lamb. You sit down with your family. You eat that lamb. You take the blood of that lamb and you spread it over the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of death comes, he will see that blood and he will pass over your house. In other words, you are mine. You and your families belong to me. They were going to take their children and sacrifice them to another God. They belonged to God. He had bought them. And he would buy them again. But doing this, this was just like everybody else. God doesn't call us to be like everybody else. He calls us to be faithful. Do we see that? And do others see that in us? question we ought to ask is does our character identify us as belonging to christ now when when paul cites this bad example here in first corinthians 10 he breaks it down like this and he's, he simply says there in that verse in first corinthians 10 he says we must not indulge in sexual immorality now the greek word that he uses for sexual immorality is the greek word porneo does that sound familiar to anyone? Porneo, that's where we get the word pornography from. Yeah. Porneo itself means more than just pornography, though. It's a, it's a generic term. It is an all-encompassing term. It, it, it's, it's anything that you can do wrong sexually is, is encompassed into porneo. You know, when, when my parents sat me down and we had the talk... Um, my parents sat me down and, and the talk, and I'm sure my sisters got the same talk, but the talk consisted of this. You know what's right? You know what's wrong? We don't want any wrong. Boom. That's it. Talk's over. Yeah. And that's all I needed, right? You know what's right? You know what's wrong? We don't want any wrong. Porneto is wrong. <laughs> Anything that, that falls into that is 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 just absolutely wrong. And keep in mind, Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth. The city of Corinth was known for one thing. Corinth was the location of the temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Now, part of the worship or the main focus of the worship at the temple of Aphrodite was the prostitutes that lived there. It was, it was just a whorehouse, basically. And you went there to worship the goddess Aphrodite by having sex with these prostitutes there. In fact, if, in that first century, if you wanted to insult a woman, if you wanted to insult a woman and, and imply that she had loose morals or bad character, you would refer to her as a Corinthian girl. That was to say that she was, she was loose. Do not call anyone. You don't have my permission to call anyone a Corinthian girl. Okay, Don't do that don't call people that but that was the identity of Corinth that was the city that's what the city was all about and and that that porneo that sexual immorality that the city was known for it was permeating the church to the point that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 Paul confronts a sin that is in the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5.1, it is actually reported that there is sexually, sexual immorality among you. That is that there is corneo among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. You won't even find this practice down at the temple of Aphrodite. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. You are proud. You're, you're bragging about it. You're bragging about the sin that you're allowing in the fellowship. Look at us. Look at at how tolerant we are. I know people like that. I know preachers like that. I know preachers that when issues of of immorality come up, they they laugh it off and they say, don't get hung up on that stuff. That's what grace is for. That's what the grace of God is for. Yeah. Paul says the grace of God is there to teach us how to be holy. The grace of God is there so that our sin doesn't condemn us, our sin doesn't hold us back from God. Our sin doesn't keep ourselves from giving ourselves completely to Him. You go back to the, to the story here in the book of Numbers, you track the, the seduction of sin, first in chapter or verse two, it, it begins with that invitation to sacrifice. And then in verse 3, it goes beyond invitation. Verse 3 says, So Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It goes from invitation to identification. A yoke would connect uh, your animals, connect your oxen for for work. That meant that they had to work together, and so suddenly Israel is yoked together with the pagans around them it goes from invitation to identification this this isn't just a matter of of israel saying well we we decided just to go along with it you know it seemed wrong to say no i mean they were so nice about the invitation you know it goes beyond just that this is who they were now this is who they were this was their identity they were worship they were Baal worshipers not yahweh worshipers there was nothing about them said that that they were any different from the people around them our character should identify us as belonging to christ and i talk to you guys we talk about the world out there and some of you are scared always bothers me when christians are scared (laughs) we ought not to be scared god has not given us a spirit of fear but some of you are scared about uh, about you're scared for the church. You're scared about what we're facing. I mean, the, there are new challenges in our world today, in our society today, that that churches in the past have never had to face. That tells me that God sees something in your character that says you can face it. That tells me that God has prepared us, this generation, to face those challenges. But but there are challenges that the church is facing today that that other generations never never had to face I mean challenges to our faith challenges to our beliefs and and even challenges to our morality I mean there are places where where our morality is viewed as an enemy to society where 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 there's something wrong with us because of the morals that that we espouse and I want to tell you your elders your elders are working on that your elders are 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 working to to hold us uh, and to, to protect us to make sure that we can face those challenges But if you ask me, the problem isn't out there. It's not about what's out there. The problem is about what's been in here the whole time. Because for decades, there has not been a whole lot of difference between the morality of the average American Christian and the average American non-Christian. We haven't looked that much different from the world around us. And I don't think these challenges are attacks. I think these challenges are the result of us whoring ourselves with the culture around us i think it's just the natural result of of what's happened when we haven't stood for anything does our character identify us as belonging to christ that's a tough question but it shouldn't be the last question and it shouldn't be a, a hopeless question because we also need to ask does our failure draw us to his grace Paul says that the purpose of these bad examples, the purpose is not to make us feel miserable. The purpose of these bad examples is not to make us feel like failures. The purpose of these bad examples is not to condemn us. The purpose is to keep us from desiring evil so that we can learn from their mistakes. And you see this story here in, in Numbers 25. And not only do you see failure, but you see failure on top of failure. Failure just, just begins to snowball here. Things go from bad to worse, and what's, what started out as an, as an invitation to join in then becomes Israel being yoked to this God, this Baal of Peor, and, and suddenly they are identified as, as worshipers of Baal. But before the story is over, it's not just that they are identified, but that they have defied. They have defied God. They have defied Moses with their sin. I want to read again. Just pick up the story in verse 6. This is horrible story. It says, And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. And in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting, in other words, other people were repenting for what had happened. They, they were admitting their failure while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he rose and he left the congregation and he took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the chamber that that is into the bedroom in in the man's house, and he pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. And thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. It's a horrible story. It's awful. This man takes a Midianite woman into his home and into his bedroom. And suddenly, the sin of Israel wasn't just something that they were doing out there on that hill where they were worshiping Baal. It wasn't something that was just out there away from them. Suddenly, the sin of Israel was in the camp. The sin of Israel was in their home. It was in this this room that was to be honored with with the marriage relationship. And suddenly, it was back there in the camp. It It was in their homes. And again, Paul cites these bad examples to the Corinthians, to a church in a sex-driven society. You know, earlier, a few chapters earlier, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, flee from porneo. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You don't bring this into your home. You don't bring this into your home. You don't bring this into your community. You don't even bring this into your body. You flee from it. You run away from it. Go back up to to verses 4 and 5. The anger of the Lord is kindled against Israel. In verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. He says, lift them up in the sun. You hang them high so that everyone can see where this rebellion has led. There's this understanding in the Bible, and, and I don't completely get it. <laughs> I don't completely understand it, but but there's this, this amazing thing that you see, especially in the Old Testament, and it starts with Adam. You remember the story of creation, Adam and Eve. And Adam is created out of out of the clay of the earth, right? Adam is taken out of the dirt. and and God, when he curses Adam and Eve, God says, "From dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. So so we we have this understanding that at death, uh, we return to the earth. We return to the dirt. <laughs> you know we we go back from where we came from. you know that's that's how we, we continue to do things, you know you, you you belong back there in the in the ground. But with that understanding that the body belongs in the ground is the understanding that the body does not belong up there on a pole. You know, they're, they hang these people, and you hang them in the sun. Uh, but there's this understanding that the body should not be kept from the ground, that the body should not be left up there. And, and in fact, in Deuteronomy, you know, in the, in the book of the law there, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, God gives instructions on what to do if someone has committed a crime and it says in in deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23 and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is to be put to death you hang him on a tree his body shall not remain all night on the tree but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by god you remember you remember the story of cain and abel you know, cain kills his brother abel and apparently just leaves him there and on the ground doesn't bury him and god says you know his blood is crying out you know it's you know th- th- this is wrong and and you remember the story of jesus they didn't leave him hanging overnight did they they, they knew you had to take him down because uh, you're cursed when you're hung on a tree this story points us to that the story points us to jesus this story reminds us that in our failure and in our shame and all those sins that have led us astray we don't hang on the cross we don't face condemnation because of our sin instead we turn to god's grace peter is is building on this when peter writes in in first peter chapter 2 verse 24 he writes about jesus and he says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Peter is very particular to make reference to that, to that law back there in Deuteronomy. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus, Jesus took your punishment for you so that you wouldn't be condemned, so that you could flee from sexual immorality, so that you could live a life that is different from the world around us Now I realize there's a very good chance that you're sitting here today and you're thinking that I've already done that I've already accepted the invitation to go along with everyone else I've already accepted that invitation to do what everyone else is doing and Maybe you were even the person sending out the invitations. I don't know. And in a town like this, pretty much in any town, but in a town like this, it is it is very easy for our mistakes to become our identity, for us to be known by our mistakes. And you might very well feel that that you deserve to hang for what you've done for what you've become known for, for the way you've disappointed yourself, for the way you've disappointed the community, for the the way you've disappointed God. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. Jesus hung on the tree for us. There's a scripture that I absolutely love and I, I hope you love it the way I do. Condemnation happens on the cross right condemnation happens there cursed is the man who hangs on the tree that's that's condemnation paul begins romans chapter 8 verse 1 with a verse that says therefore there is now no condemnation there's none left there's no condemnation left for you there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus why not don't i deserve condemnation don't i deserve to be condemned haven't i failed haven't i wronged god haven't i wronged others haven't i wronged myself and wronged my own body by bringing this into my body yeah i'm sure you have (laughs) but jesus hung on the cross for all of that he hung there for your curse he took on all your condemnation there is no condemnation left i have no condemnation to offer you Last week we looked at that bronze serpent. Remember the bronze serpent last week? Moses, you know, the people are, people are being bitten by these horrible snakes. And so God tells Moses, make a bronze snake and hold it up on a pole. And if, if people just look at that snake, if they look to that snake, they will live. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so when I am lifted up, I will save. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not face condemnation, but have everlasting life. He took on all your condemnation. You might think, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know just how how bad I've been. You're probably right. I'm fairly clueless when it comes to that kind of stuff. But even more, it doesn't matter. I've come to this conclusion. Either Jesus' death on the cross saves all of us, or it saves none of us. That's the way it works. Either His death on the cross saves all of us, or it saves none of us. If your sin is so bad, if your sin is so vile, if, if your sin is so wrong that that he can't save you then none of us stand a chance if his, if there is a sin out there that is so bad that the blood of christ will not cover it then none of us stand a chance in this world none of us stand a chance and we can look at this story and, and we can think but but i've failed so many times and i and i've tried and i've, I've failed over and over again I choose to believe that, that as evil as my sin has been and as vile as my sin has been, it has gone before Him and it has been paid with His blood. And as weak as my attempts to be faithful to God are, He never fails me. And the story of my life and the story of my salvation is not about how great my faithfulness is. The story is great as your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness why we come to the table every week that's why we come here to remember the price that was paid it's why we when we, when the time comes for us to to give our lives to him it's why it's why we see baptism as such an important step because it's a remembrance of of the price that was paid that that his body wasn't left on the tree but that he was buried and and that he rose again and this with him we we are buried in baptism We say goodbye to that old life of sin and we are raised to live a new life. You can't condemn a dead man. Yeah, there's nothing left to condemn. And from what Paul tells me in Romans chapter 6, in baptism we have become dead and we are raised to a new life. All that condemnation is gone. There is nothing left. I hope you know that. I hope you know the peace that comes with that. I hope you know the greatness of His faithfulness. Today, if you need to just step out and say, I need that. And, and maybe you already have, but, but if you need to say, I, I, need, I need to trust that more. I need to give myself to him more. I, I just need your prayers and I need your support to know his faithfulness. We would love to pray with you. We would invite you to come and let us pray with you. Let us welcome you. Let us, let us invite you to, to join in us with the, the one source of hope that we have, the faithfulness of God. If you need to do that, to come as we stand and sing.